Please be seated. I think that was a little preview of the Christmas pageant. <laughs> it's being blocked today, um, so we're almost there, apparently. I'm not Horace. Um, Horace is right over there. Um, as you all know, um, because we, we know each other in this community, it's been a, a it's an intense week of pastoral care. Um, there's been a lot of need and um, uh, suffering in our community. Maybe it's the right way to say that. Um, so we're, we're trying to take care of each other as well. And our shame shall be turned to praise, the prophets say to us today. What a provocation. Our shame shall be turned to praise. May it be so. We have John the Baptist again this week. Um, I like John, in case you can't hear that already about me. I really like John. John calls the people today a brood of vipers, and they've come to him on purpose. These aren't the people, he hasn't gone into the Chase Manhattan, right, or the Publix. They've come out to him, out by the water, to be baptized, to hear some truth. They suspect he might be the Messiah, in his sternness and raging. And to them, he says, you brood of vipers. It'd be like if I said that to you right now, right? <laughs> and you wouldn't be wrong to leave, right, if I did that. One, um, Mark Davis says it could be translated, you spawn of vipers, even better, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's what someone else said. But you brood of vipers, he says, to people seeking their salvation. They're seeking their hope. They're seeking that their shame may be turned to praise. They knew those texts. You brood of vipers. And then it says that tax collectors right, and soldiers say to him, tax collectors and soldiers. And remember this about Luke. Luke is beautifully constructed. If you're an English teacher, this is your book, right? From the Magnificat at the beginning to what John does right here, the entire story is laid out. Everything's going to, you know, everything's going to happen in those couple of verses. Every image, right? For an example, Jesus has already been born in this story, where we are today. In Bethlehem, the house of bread, Jesus has been born. You know what's going to happen next. You can, you can, anyone that knows the story is perfectly set out. Mary has sung her song. Every act that Jesus will do is contained in that song. And John says to the tax collector, right, and to the soldier who come to him and say, how can I be saved? It's not the farmer. It's not the housewife. Right? It's not the fisher person. Those would be fine. They show up very soon. Very specifically, the soldier and the tax collector. Remember, one of those tax collectors becomes a disciple. This is the complicated part of these Gospels. So this is where empire comes back again. I talk about empire a lot because it's in the Bible a lot. And, the re and this is a great illustration of why it's in the Bible, how it functions in the Bible is if you're a tax collector or a soldier, you work for Rome, right? That's, that's who your employer is. And it says in the readings, you can see right there, that it's not a completely honorable profession, either one. And even without getting those verses, you kind of know 
I kind of know what the, that character is, even though there might be among us tax collectors, I'm assuming some soldiers or relatives of soldiers, so former soldiers, we have that still. We have a version of tax collector. The issue was, one, they worked for the empire, right? They worked for Rome, and most of us do the job we can get, right? The, we're trying to make our way. And they did it dishonestly. And I'm sure you've heard that from a pulpit before, right? That you didn't know as a soldier when your wage was going to come, so you might need to get some money in. And if I've got a big gun and I could, you know, got a sword, got a helmet, um, I might be able to get a little bit from you, right? From the regular people, from the fisher person, the farmer, right? The one, one that worked at home. And tax collectors, similarly, that, that money went to Rome, went to the governor, right? Um, to take a little extra. And so it's interesting, John could have said, because John is saying the world is ending, it's over. He could have said, come and follow me. It's a good answer, right? Put it down, don't do it anymore. He doesn't. He says, do the best you can where you are and do it right. Do it with as much, as integri with as much integrity as you can. It's really interesting in the middle, beginning of Luke. You would think that John would say, put it down. There are better ways to be. John is out there doing nothing in the middle of nowhere, right? There's a more radical way to be. <laughs> like, John's not the guy to say, I recognize that you have bills to pay. <laughs> but that's what he does today. Unfortunately, I think what it means is John's talking to us today. So as close as I get to a John the Baptist in my life is uh, Bobby Castle. Does anyone know Bobby Castle? There's no reason you should, but everywhere I go, someone knows him. So Robert Castle would be his proper name, but he went by Bobby. And he was the, among many things he did in his life, when I knew him, he was the rector of St. Mary's in Harlem in Manhattanville. So when I went to Union as a, sem as a seminarian, you had to pick your, um, your church to work in. As you all have had seminarians here, we have some recent seminarians here. Um, in my diocese, Los Angeles, they didn't tell you where to go. They didn't tell you, you must go work at St. Luke's, which is usually what happens now, I think. Um, what happened then was you had to go find a church. They had to, be, they had to agree they wanted to work with you, just pretty intense outreach as a student, and then you had to sign, get it all signed up so that you could do your next two years with this church. So being the earnest and serious student that I was, I wanted to go somewhere I could walk to. Because... Right? <laughs> because this is going to be every Sunday for the next two years. And because I was listening to my community at Union, we're right, at, we're right where Columbia is, so right at the like, kind of turning point of the Upper West Side in Harlem, um, people at school were saying, well, you know, these Union students, they look downtown. They go to Manhattan. Think about looking uptown. Think about Harlem. Think about looking east to look at Harlem. I was like, oh, yeah. I felt very convicted by that. That seemed important. Our cathedral is east. St. Mary's is the first church north. So I walked up to St. Mary's, expecting a black church um, with a black leader in Manhattanville. Church that was, someone's laughing back here. Yeah, all right. Um, it's a church up in a high place. It was built back when that was far away from the city in a green, beautiful place. And at this point, when I went, um, and it's still, it was surrounded by housing projects, I think three different ones. Um, and so one in five New Yorkers lives in a housing project. This is, this is a, so these are poor communities and three different sets of them, right? and this little church kind of hidden in the middle of them. Police department, police precinct across the street, uh, health and human services office next door. You can sort of imagine this scenario. The first free church in the city, so no pew rents. Anyone could go to this church. So I walk into St. Mary's on a Sunday morning, and it's not at all what I expect. Um, it's a 
quirky, eclectic group of people, from, definitely from the neighborhood, also from, the, from Columbia, from Union. And there's this really big white guy up front, like Santa Claus, basically, like big beard, jolly, robust, fun, just not who I expected. And it was Bobby Castle. Bobby Castle, um, Jonathan Demi, he's Jonathan Demi's cousin, so Demi made a movie about him called My Cousin Bobby. Um, just an urban minister, had done it his whole life, um, and had worked on social justice causes his whole life. And he's up in this pulpit. Um, he, not at all who I expected, and not all who you'd expect um, him to be. And one of the things that he taught me, and he's probably where I learned to be a priest, is he said, I don't know if he taught me this, but he said this to me, um, he said on, um, during Holy Week, especially on Thursday, but definitely by Friday, you need to get arrested. with a totally straight face. I remember thinking, I mean, I get what he's getting at, like Jesus gets arrested on Thursday, but that seemed to be about something, like that was principled in some way, right? <laughs> yeah. He didn't say that, he said, you just gotta get arrested. Yeah. Um, he was completely serious. He was like, put yourself in the position of the people that Jesus would have known. Consider where your perspective comes from, who you see, right? Where you align yourself, where you put your body. So he, in that film, if you ever watch My Cousin Bobby, um, one of the scenes they have is that he takes his cross, they take the cross and the torches and he's vested and they walk out to the street. They go down to 126th Street to the corner where there's a big pothole, which had just been a disaster for that community. It's growing and growing and growing. And they stick the processional cross in it and they start the service out there and they pray to Jesus to come do something about this pothole. They go, I mean, (laughs) very specifically, that community... That pothole was in the middle of a whole bunch of housing projects. It was ruining people's cars, right? He just put himself right there in the actual needs of the community. It wasn't poetic. It wasn't about the great systems that terrorize us. There was a pothole. So what I learned from Bobby Castle is it matters what you see, and you probably want to get arrested on Thursday, definitely by Friday, So because how are you going to understand Easter? Right? You've got to have your Holy Week. And what I wonder is if you've got to have your Annunciation, if you want to have your Christmas. So I would not, I've not tried to get arrested every holy week of my life, and I don't intend to. Um, And yet, I think, I do what Bob Castle told me to do without even thinking about it, and I'm guessing some of you are formed like this as well. Someone wise told you something at some point. You might not have thought it was wise at the time, and then here you are, acting it out for the rest of your life. So for me, it was that a couple of years ago, I went to, um, to El Paso with a group of people, including some from this diocese. Lauren Holder was there. Um, Juan Sandoval was there. Um, there might have been others from this diocese. And we led a team. I'm from Texas, so I got to lead as the Texan in the group um, to come down to El Paso and try to understand what was going on at our border, which is maybe four years ago, so at the height of a lot of that. Um, and so we put a, a, a couple of days together. We were going to go visit some sites and try to understand what was happening. And so the first stop was at a house called Annunciation House. And all we were going to do there is get the lay of the land. People were going to tell us what, what was happening. It's a Catholic charity site. So that's all they do. They do charity, not advocacy. Um, so when people come and they've been detained and then they're released from the det- detention center, you're kind of on your own to figure it out. So once you're released, um, they call us Annunciation House, they come get you in all these buses, they bring you there, you eat some food, they figure out who, who you know, where you're going next, they make a call, they get you your bus ticket, they, kinda, they get you going. So he was going to tell us how this works, how he's experienced this work over the years, because 
we are going to get volunteers from our churches to come down and help because they needed help. So we get rid of a bunch of Episcopalians, a bunch of priests, some lay people. Um, we say our prayers at the hotel. We get in that get in our cars, we get there, we sit down in the cafeteria, kind of like this, we're all looking up at the guy, we're pretty excited about it, and he says, and there's, a, there's some big television cameras in the back, and both, all of us are like, oh yeah, no, we can't, we can't have, we can't be on TV, that's not why we're here, this isn't, we just want to figure out how our communities can help, they want to help, and he said, he said, oh yeah, those aren't for you, um, we just got a call, there's a group coming in, so we'll do this real fast, and then you need to back up. Take, get out of these chairs, we need these chairs. Um, we're gonna, and you could hear that the kitchen was starting to go, food was being made, they were preparing for a large group to come in. So we were shocked. He talked really fast, basically said, you can read it all on the website, glad you're here. Here's a little bit. <laughs> he said some beautiful things, heartbreaking things. And you heard, we heard the buses pull up. Um, and people came off these buses and came into the room we were sitting in, and they were sun exposed. If you've seen that look on someone, like they've just been outside too long. Um, they were from Central America, so they were you know, smaller than me. Um, and they were little kids, and they were exhausted, and they looked confused. And we were as convicted as any group of people I've ever seen. Wow, did we feel like a brood of vipers. Um, there was nothing we could do. We had the socks we had brought to donate and the toothpaste and our utter inadequacy in the, um, in the face of what these folks were facing. So we backed up. We, we were told to back up. People came in and we walked out. And we walked to the entry where we had agreed we were all going to meet anyway after we had done whatever we were doing on this site. And all of us, every one of us, Lauren was one of these people, right? We all stood there shocked. Most of us were crying and faced the walls. In this little room, all of us were facing the wall because I think we were deeply ashamed, covered in shame um, and powerless. So we're standing there, and I remember thinking, oh wait, I'm, I'm the leader. I need to <laughs> do something leaderly, but I can't think of it because um, I can't get it together. And this man walked out of one of the hallways with a little girl. I think they had, had to go to the bathroom. I could barely hear it, like she had to go to the bathroom. I would guess his daughter, seven at the most, holding his hand, like, you know, hand up here, holding his hand, walking through, and she looks at all of us, and in that voice, and I can't do it, uh, that little delightful voice that little kids have, right, says, hola. It was my annunciation that year. I said, hola, and all of us fall over ourselves. What is this? Right, hello, welcome. Of course, it was ours to welcome. It was our country, right? We were the people to welcome her. And she reminded us so deep in our bones of who we were by our proximity to her, by being in the place where she was. Quite literally, our shame turned to praise by the voice of that child, I can still hear it like a little bell, hola. It's what I hear when I think of an enunciation. And so as we prepare, you brood of vipers, we broods of vipers, we do the best we can where we are. We can live lives of profound integrity no matter where we find ourselves. And let us recall those who have called us to so much greater than we knew we could do or be even if we can't remember who they are, if you could take a minute and remember for this year, because Jesus comes again among us. Let us be ready. Let us be in the right place to be delighted and surprised again.